Hey, everybody, John Scott here on the new podcast, Tom Petty and Me. Doing them more regular now, thank goodness. I want to tell you about my book, Tom Petty and Me. It's available on my website at tompettyandme.com. I'll personalize it for you there. I'll autograph it, and I'll send it to you for free in the domestic United States. And if you have bought it, thank you so much for buying my book, Tom Petty and Me. This week, we have an interview with Mark Felsot and myself. We did recently. I love Mark Felsot. He's a great guy, talented guy. I think you're going to have a lot of fun listening to this episode of Tom Petty and Me. On Shelter Records, the uh, first and only single from Mudcrutch on Shelter Records, Depot Street, here at Tom Petty Radio, Mark Felsot, joined by Mr. John Scott, the author of Tom Petty and Me. Author. Wow. How does that feel to be called an author now? It's crazy. I mean, people say that to me, you're an author. I'm going, I really don't believe it. It's like a dream. I don't even know what to say. I mean, in a way, it's this is like somebody's record. Yeah. You made a book. <laughs> John Scott, you, you created this thing. That has to be bizarre. It's 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 unreal. I mean, I, I, when I got the first copy from the from the uh, publisher, from the printing house, I looked at it and went, it's, this thing's alive. And I really didn't think of myself as an author, to be honest with you. I don't know why, but yeah, it feels good. So when you, well, first off, back to Mudcrutch, because you actually heard the Mudcrutch symbol <laughs> right. in your early days yep. working for a record company. Your response to hearing Depot Street, which is really... If you think about it, unlike any of the other songs Mudcrutch was doing at the time. Or Tom, even, they, they've never done a reggae song, a reggae-sounding kind of song, I don't think. But um, I was driving to Nashville with Olivia Newton-John, and she had come to Memphis, and I was like, um, we got to listen to these uh, tracks on a cassette that MCA sent us, some new songs. And... Um, Mudcrutch came, or Depot Street came on, and she says, that's quite good. And I said, I'm not sure if it's a good imitation of Olivia, but I said, you know, I like that song. And I said, would you look at the paper here and see who that who it is? And she said, um, it says Mudcrutch. And I said, well, she, I think she said, well, that's kind of a stupid name. But, and I kind of said, you know, I don't even know what Mudcrutch means. And yeah, but anyway, I went to a radio station in Nashville and got it played. And I, I remember calling my first ad in going from, I got a Depot Street played and had a promotion for MCA. Went, John, it's only a single. It's on Shelter Records. Forget about it. Work Olivia Newton, John. I completely forgot about Mud Crutch. That has to be surreal just to begin with. You and Olivia Newton, John, <laughs> riding in a car together, listening to new music. Right, you know? right. And she... Liked the song. She loved the song. We both did. It's like one of those things. And and um, the first time I played it for WKDF, Ron Huntsman, and he said, I like this song. I'm going to add it. And I went, well, we must be right. It's a good song. Until I found out that only three stations in America had played the record. And we're told to move on to something else. Yeah, that, that was like a really strange moment in my life because, you know, once I met Tom first at his house— and ask him, have you ever been in any other bands? And he said, yeah, you never heard of them. I'm going, Mudcrutch. And I went, Depot Street? And he went, how the hell do you know Depot Street? And that's when we just sat down and looked at each other. Like, I mean, we must have stared at each other 30 seconds. 
Like, what's going on here? You're telling me you're going to break my career. And we just looked at each other, and you know Mud Crutch. And um, it, it's kind of hard to remember because I remember just, it was like so surreal of me knowing who Mud Crutch was. It is Tom Petty Radio. Mark Felsot here with author John <laughs> Scott of Tom Petty and Me. Right, I want to jump to um, you've listened to this album. You've promised your boss you're going to work this album. Give me six weeks. Right. And you've got two songs that are huge on this record. Mm-hmm. Really, neither of them have done anything at this moment. You have American Girl. Yep. And then on the other side, you have Breakdown. Right. And you have two completely different sounding songs. How do you decide what you want to take to radio stations and say, pay attention, here's Tom Petty, you're going to play this guy? <laughs> well, Breakdown was the first, second song on the, on the first album. And that's when, I mean, my I went cuckoo. I just was getting goosebumps, everything. You you know, that's how you probably do the same thing. You hear something and it just goes, whoa. And um, then the last song I heard was American Girl on that album. And I listened Twice, I closed my door, put my headphones on. And if you've never listened to the first album, put it headphones on because Mike Campbell's guitars go from left to right. Phil Seymour's uh, vocals go in and out. And, it's, and that's so I went to uh, Charlie Minor and said, Who are these guys? He said, Oh, that's a uh, punk band, uh, Tom Petty and the, whatever their name is, uh, Heartbreakers. And we're, 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 we're dropping them. We put Breakdown out as a single and it did nothing. And I felt really strongly about Breakdown. And that's what I just said, well, let's just do it again. And that's what I started doing. And um, But Breakdown's a song that always just got me. And American Girl. I, you know, American, how can you not like American Girl? Right, right, right. I, I still don't understand, you know, the cover of the album, the first album. I think that's what hurt Tom Petty the most. Um because he doesn't look like either of those two songs. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Exactly. That he didn't look like that. You know, radio people would tell me, "Oh, yeah, we've listened to that guy, or we saw the album cover. It looks like a punk band. Is it a punk band?" And I'm like, "No, no, no. It's a rock and roll band." And the one thing I regret is never asking Tom, "Why did you do that particular cover with bullets around your neck and a black leather jacket and a smirk on your face?" Looking back, that's one of the reasons that the first album, when it came out, didn't happen. Can't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge a record by its cover. <laughs> no, you can't. As you started to recollect your history with Tom, right. did that come easy? Oh. Did you have to call people and go, do you remember when this <laughs> happened? Can you help fill me in? Because I don't remember everything. Well, you know, I never kept a diary. I wish I had. Uh, no, I, I basically just did it from memory and and I really remember everything about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers from the very beginning of the first song I heard. How long was the first draft? You, your book's like 180 pages, but <laughs> how long was the first draft? And did you have to leave out some, some good stories along um, the way? No, I don't think I left out any good stories. I think I pretty much told them all. Um, I didn't want to make it a sex, drugs, and rock and roll because that wasn't Tom. Number one, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said in the book on the tour bus, no girls allowed. It was like, you know, the gang. So I didn't want to make it that, and I just, um, I didn't want to make it like 600 pages. Plus, I didn't want to go, well, John Scott Page, uh, you know, 
chapter one, John Scott was born in a small house in Memphis, Tennessee, and his father didn't like him, and his and his sister scratched one of his specialty records, forty five. I didn't want to do that. Because sometimes I read biographies, and it's like I'll just skip through that because I don't care about what happened to um, whoever when he was ten years old. I want to get right to the meat of it. So I wanted to make it um, a readable book that wasn't like six hundred pages. Like I said, I wanted it to be pretty concise, short chapters, and page turners. I wanted every chapter to have a you know, like, well, what's going to happen next? So I never really set out to to do, well, i got to do 200 pages. It just came out like it was. And um, the faxes, you know, the faxes that are in there added a lot to the story. And I found out that fans are really fascinated by the faxes that Tom and I did. And uh, But no, I never, I, I wanted it to be... Um, how did I say this? I wanted, I didn't want to be just saying things that didn't matter about Tom. Right. I just want to get right to the point and tell the stories as I remember them. Or you want to get right to the point, let's <laughs> roll another joint. Well, you know, that's what they say. Uh, um, Tom and I never did that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you whatever you say. Yeah, Tom. well, you know, we did, you know, we did do that. And I think it's right to say that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what happened. And I mean, and like I said, liquor. I never really saw Tom drink a lot, right, maybe right. once or twice. But no, I'm, I make no bones about it. I and, mean, but we, that's who he was. So. That's who he was. Right. And right. the first time I met him at his house, we went outside and smoked a joint or smoked a peace pipe, I think I said. But yeah. We'll play a little music here. I'm going to play uh, Rockin' Around With You, which is, as Tom calls it, side one, cut one of the very first album. <laughs> right. And obviously, that's the very first thing you ever heard. That's the very first Tom, thing I heard. And Do you um, remember that moment of hearing that song in absolutely. particular? I remember. I mean, I, I, there's hair standing up on my arms right now, if you can see him, right? I remember that song going, wow, this is a pretty cool song. And then I think Breakdown was the second song. And that's when I really, really just went, good God almighty, who are these guys? Because the way that, you know, I heard the record was all by accident. I believe that things happen for a reason. And I believe this was all part of a master plan that happened for me to accidentally listen to that record. I had no idea what to expect when I put that needle down because there was nothing on the album cover that I was looking at. Gave me no, I didn't know it was eight months old. I didn't know it was a white jacket, it was a white vinyl, nothing on it. And something said, sit down and listen to this record. And I did, and I heard Rocking Around With You, and I just, like I said, I got goosebumps. From the first album, American Girl, here at Tom Petty Radio, Mark Felsot, and I am with Mr. John Scott, author of the book, Tom Petty and Me. So, John, the first time you see Tom Petty and never and I should explain John was a record guy. Right. And John relentless work trying to promote Tom Petty to radio stations is why we are here today. And Thank you. Thank you. The first time you saw now you had heard the record but the first time you actually got to see Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers live on stage mm-hmm. is August of 77. I think right? it was August 12th or 13th, opening for Blondie. I think he came on at 7 o'clock. And this is at the Whiskey at in the Hollywood. At the Whiskey Go-Go. And maybe there's 10, 15 people in the room. I don't know. And um, I remember sitting at the table, and I'm, I'm going to myself, please, God, let these guys 
be good. Wow. And please don't let them look like a punk band. <laughs> and they came, and then I saw the Vox Amps on, on the stu- stage. And I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good sign. And they came walking out, and each one of them had their own coolness. I mean, Tom had the scarf on, and you know, and then Stan Lynch was popping his hair back, looked like Ringo Starr. And they came out and did Carol, oh, Carol. And at that minute, I knew this was a rock and roll band. And, um, um, and then the second song is Breakdown. And that's when Charlie Kendall said he was going to start playing this record heavily. And Charlie is program director of a radio station in, in Los right, Angeles. Right, a new right. radio station, right, yes. And, right. um, but just the experience of uh, of seeing the band and realizing they're as good as you would want them to be and even better. Better, even better than I thought, yeah. Because I had no idea what they I mean. I knew I had heard the record, seeing them. That just cemented the whole thing. I mean, my God, they did a 30-minute set, no encore. And um, I I looked at Charlie and I said, I, I think this is the, this is like the become a, a new beginning of rock and roll or something. Like that. I, remember, I remember saying something like, this is like, uh, I can't remember what I said, but I just looked, it was like, literally, this is the future of rock and roll, this band. And he said, you're exactly right. As you got to know Tom over the years. Mm-hmm. You certainly got to know him much more on a on a personal level. And mm-hmm. your your families got to know each other. Yep. I mean, for you, was it easy to separate your working relationship with him and growing this friendship mm-hmm. of families getting to know each other yeah. and what was that like? Oh, it was really, it was really easy because um, you know my first encounter at the whiskey when I went upstairs, he threw me out of the whiskey because he thought I was a nut job working for ABC Records, which I understood. But um, a week later, when he called me and invited me over, right away we became friends. And we both were actually from Florida. I was born in Florida. Mm. Never told anybody that except you and the world now. I did but, not know that. Yeah, but my mom happened to be there. But anyway, um, and he said, where are you born? I said, Florida. He said, oh, my God, I'm, we're from Florida, too. Anyway, so we went outside and, and um, completely bonded that night. And I remember him. We smoked a joint. We started talking about each other. And I, I started ta- He asked me about my career, and I didn't tell him anything about Johnny Cougar because I, th- I thought he'd think I was a nut, a nut job you know, getting fired from MCA. But we went inside and he played me a real to real listen to her heart and I completely lost it. But then he had a party and all the families came together. It wasn't all these big parties. It was mostly the road crew and friends and but it was like um it was like an instant bond between all of our families. And every we spent every Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, birthdays at his house in Encino. And it was just like, you know, your next door neighbor. And Tom was a funny, funny guy. I mean, that's the one thing I, I wanted in this book to come out that he is a funny guy. And he's kind of shy too. But uh, the the family thing was incredible. It was like a family. And um, Thanksgiving in 1987 was pretty interesting. Um, you know about that, right? No. Sure you do. Well, I read it well, in the book. <laughs> well, that's when Tom, uh, we were all playing softball, and he's, that's what he loved to do. He loved to be the pitcher for both teams, and he didn't want to bat. He didn't want to play second base. Anyway, he wanted to pitch, and that's in 1987. He couldn't at Thanksgiving. He couldn't find the softballs, found the bats. 
And so he said, I'm going to go down to Rite Aid and get a softball. I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. And that's when he stopped at a stoplight and looked to his right, and there's Jeff Lynn. And, but anyway, the family thing is like, um, it was like, um, it was like living in a neighborhood and your next door neighbor is your friend. And that's kind of what it turned into because um, that's just the way Tom was. You know, if you, if you were, if you were a fan of his or you were loyal to him, I don't mean in that sense of loyal or, um, but if he, if he liked you, um, you became friends. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was really easy because that's the kind of guy he was. He was an easygoing guy once you got, once you get to know him. And he obviously had a lot of trust in you too by this time. <laughs> he did have a lot of trust in me because I did what I said I was going to do when I went up to the whiskey upstairs and tell him I was going to break his career and um, asked me if I'd ever heard his record in the radio in Los Angeles. He said no, and then that's when he threw me out of the whiskey. And then that's when I said, "Hey, my name is John Scott. Don't you ever forget my name because I'm you're going to think about it when you hear me on the when you hear your record on the radio." And that's when he really got pissed. He bugs get these guys out of here but no and then after that it was like the first meeting at his house he invited me over and um we became like i said instant friends and the family same thing uh we're gonna play listen to her heart next um what does that song conjure up for you well um well i can say when i was at his house and he said, I said you got any other things you want to play me or anything he said yeah come on in i gotta put the reel the reel on and place listen to her heart and that first lick of listen to her heart you're hooked and I, I made me i think i made him play it five times in a row and i went back to abc records going yeah you won't believe what he's got in the uh, the, the demo that he's got and um breakdown did start making noise and the plan was to have american girl again released as a single but when they heard listen to her heart the record company went we got to put another album out, and we got to re-sign these guys, and that's what happened. American Girl never came out as a single that I remember, but listen to her heart. When they heard that, like I said, um, it was a new a new day for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers because they were going to be dropped, and that song changed their mind. From Southern Accents, that is Rebels here on Tom Petty Radio. I'm Mark Felsat, and I am with John Scott, author of the book, Tom Petty and Me. So when you think of Rebels, yeah, what does that conjure up uh, in your eyes? First off, I mean, coming from Florida and coming from the South, when yep. Tom's making a record called Southern Accents, right. that's... Right. Now, you're not working for his label at the time, no. No. but you do get involved with the project nonetheless they hired me as an independent promotion person to work that album and um yeah rebels like uh that was like me and tom talking that you know it was like our friends and we experienced the same things in the south and um that song just just slayed me but um the, the thing about rebels you know I, I talk in the book about tom doing things that he got to a point where if i said something he would go hey that's a good idea and most of the time he was like, he agreed with me because he didn't, they were good ideas, kind of wacky. But we had a party at his house and we invited 50 DJs up. And the first song they played, he well, he got up and said something about a little bit about the concept of the album. And Rebels came on 
And about half the room was from the South, I think, and they all jumped up and said, yeah, we're rebels. And, and uh, I looked around at Tom. He was standing behind everybody. He's really nervous about doing this whole, I mean, this whole thing about playing for DJs before it came out. But uh, it was really funny just to hear all the Southern guys relate to that song. In your book, uh, you got John Mellencamp to write the forward to right, the book. right. A cantankerous individual. <laughs> to say the least. How did that happen? And I see a certain similarity between Mellencamp and Petty. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Personalities, individuals, a little stubborn on their own end. Really? Yeah. You think, you think John <laughs> Mellencamp's a little stubborn? <laughs> I called him and asked him if he would kind of write a, write something for me for a, for the book that explained what a promotion person was. I think he did a great job uh, I was really happy that he said, yeah, that, that um, he was going to do that. And he wrote it really good. He's a, he's a tremendous writer. Uh, up next, we're going to play Free Falling. And this is a time where Tom makes a solo record. The label doesn't love it. You're involved with Tom at this point as well. Right. Free Falling, what does that mean to you? Well, Free Falling, um, Tom, or Tony, or Tony Dimitriotis called me and said, you want to come in here, Tom's new album? I said, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. So I went over there, and we did go outside again. <laughs> we got to the point. There's a lot of visiting outside when you're with Tom. <laughs> well, you know, I, people ask me about that, and I go, yeah, that doesn't mean it's going to be a good record just because you do that. Right. But anyway, so Tom sat me down in the middle of the room, and they were behind me. Tony and Tom were behind me, and I heard free falling, and instantly, again, I was like, felt like I was gliding over Mulholland, and I remember getting up and turning around going, Tom, that is probably the best album I've ever heard you do. And he said, we got a problem, though. I'm a problem? What are you talking about? He said, MCA thinks there's no hits on the record, and they want us to go back in the studio. And I said, what? These guys are out of their mind. There's no hits on this record. Come on. How can you listen to Running Down a Dream or Free Falling and not go, this is an incredible record? They asked me if I could, since I had worked at MCA, could I call somebody at EMCA and influence him maybe to change your mind. And I called the guy named John High, who was the head of album promotion. He had just went to work for MCA. And he was dying to meet Tom. He was always calling me going, hey, when are you going to introduce me to Tom? I said, you want to meet Tom? Come on over. And we sat down again and listened to the record. And John High from MCA turned around and said, good God Almighty, this is a freaking awesome album. And Tom again said, we have a problem. And Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And we, we both could, didn't understand it. He's like, what are you talking about? My record company didn't want to put it out. And he said, I'm going to take care of this. And uh, he left. And um, I tell the story in the book about the next day. There was a meeting. And um, said, at the end of the meeting, he said, uh, somebody said, has anybody else got anything to say? And he said, yeah, me. And he got on the top of the gigantic table that was at the uh, in the conference room. conference room, right, and just started jumping up and down and saying, "Who the f thinks there's no hits on this record?" And I mean, he jumped up and down as the story goes, and people looked at him like he was nuts. But two weeks later, the album came out. From Mud Crutch Two, at his dreams of flying here, Tom Petty Radio. I'm Mark Felsat. I have John Scott, author of the book Tom Petty and Me. Former DJ and promotion guy. That is true. <laughs> well, you know. But now I'm an author. To make a good record guy, I think it helps to work in radio 
prior yeah. because oh, those yeah. are the people that you're going to be working with on the other side. Exactly. And you already get a sense of having been in radio, what you want from record people to tell you about songs. Yeah. Well, record companies were actually hesitant to hire uh, DJs because they said, well, they'll just go back and be a DJ again. And um, they, they, But after I, I did pretty good for MCA, they hired some more uh, DJs. They hired a kid named Bob Osborne, Wayne McManners, and they were all radio guys. And But um, yeah, the radio is a good background to have. Um, so I got, I got this question. I've been thinking about this for a long time. You, uh, you got hired when Tom got like, re-signed to MCA, got his own label, Backstreet Records, putting out Damn the Torpedoes. Part of the deal is John Scott comes along and he's our promotion guy at the label. Mm -hmm. Damn the Torpedoes comes out. FM Rock Radio probably is playing eight or nine of the 10 tracks. Exactly. Some big hits on there. Yep. And after that record comes out, you decide to leave. I do decide to leave because um, a company that was um, an independent promotion company offered me more money than I could possibly imagine. But you had established this long working relationship with Tom as his record guy. Right. What was that conversation like for you to tell him you're going on to do something else? That was tough. That was really tough because I, 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 um, I was almost crying, actually, because I didn't want to leave Tom. And we've become such great friends. But um, um, he knew that I was going to be there. I, I think I told him, I said, I'm, I'm a phone call away, Tom. If you ever need anything, you know to call me. And um, he encouraged me to go ahead and go because Damn the Torpedoes was Tom's breakthrough album. And basically, when eight or nine track people are playing tracks, I'm, I'm happy with that. And I really, when I went, went to work for an independent promotion company, actually MCA hired me again to work with Tom. So it was kind of the same thing, you know. But um, Tom encouraged me. He did. He really did. Well, that had to make it easier then. It was a lot easier because I didn't, I didn't want to do it because, you know, I'd go out with him on the road and every night you would witness history. And you know what I mean. Because mm-hmm. um, Tom always said, I want every concert to be better than the last. I want every album to be better than the last. And that was his motto, man. And um, when Damn the Torpedoes came out, that was it. He was gone. And I knew that I'd kind of mission accomplished in my mind from the very beginning of discovering the first album and then Damn the Torpedoes being his breakthrough album. I knew he didn't need my help anymore, per se. So uh, so the <laughs> American Treasure comes out last uh, October. Mm-hmm. The first time you hear Keep a Little Soul. I think I asked Ben Mont, why wasn't that song on Long After, Long After Dark. Dark? It's a hit record. It's a smash. It would have been a number one record. And I believe he said, excuse me, Jimmy, Jimmy Iveen didn't like it. And um, I still to this day shake my head. Every, every time that song comes on, I play it about five times. And because I knew that would be a number one record. You know, what a great song that is. All right, Tom, count it off. This is Tom Petty Radio, Channel 31. I'm Mark Felsot. Thank you for uh, for tuning in, Tom Petty Radio, not only for keeping Tom's music alive, but his spirit alive. And trust me, folks, his spirit is here. Oh, yeah. He's keeping an eye on what we're doing here. So. He is. There's no doubt about it. That voice belongs to John Scott. He is the author of the book, Tom Petty and Me.
40th anniversary tour comes to a close in Hollywood at the Hollywood Bowl for three nights. Mm-hmm. You go to all three? No, you went to. I, I didn't want to go to the first and second shows. Okay. I only wanted to go to the third show because rumors were that could be his last concert ever. They was going to stop touring, even though I think in you know they they knew there's going to be a Wildflowers tour the next year. But <clears throat> that's why I wanted to go to that particular show. Right. And you asked me to come down, and you were doing. Well, we did. We did a pre-show uh, bef- beforehand, and you came down. And we we which we was talked. great because you got you were interviewing backstage hands or roadies, and that was we great. were talking to everybody, everybody. But I think I was the last person you talked to, um, I believe. But anyway, um, I came on after Keith Evelyn from Tom Petty Nation. But um, so you're there the final night, right? You're with uh, your daughter Tiffany. And you go sit down to watch the show. I didn't go backstage. I had a backstage pass, but I didn't want to go back there because I just thought it'd be bedlam. Right. Right. And uh, you're watching the show, and then Tom stops and has a few things to say on stage. (laughs) After the fourth song. I don't think he had said anything prior to that. Right, right. And he starts talking about you. (laughs) I know. And I'm sitting there. I'm dazed, actually. And I started crying because... um, um, here I am in front of 18,000 people and my daughter, and he says, I want to dedicate this song to John Scott. He went to the, he went to records, the radio stations with the vengeance back in 1977. And for that, we're forever, forever grateful. And people start pointing at me and uh, whatever. It was just like this surreal experience. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know he was going to do that. Um, the way I found out, one of the reasons he did it was because Dana York Petty told me that they got in the car in the limo about 6 o'clock to get to Hollywood Bowl. And they were listening, of course, to his radio station, Turn Up Loud. And uh, I think the driver would have been crazy if he'd been on any other station. But um, she said, uh, well, they were talking, and he said, oh, wait, did they say they were going to interview John Scott? <clears throat> she said, yeah. He said, well, don't say anything. I want to listen to this. And so he listened to the whole interview, Dana said. And he said, she said, Brother, that hit his heart, and it hit my heart too. What you said, and um, that's one of the reasons he gave me that shout out that night. And I look at it as a gift that he gave me, um, because he didn't have to do that. But it was because of the interview with you and me and Meg Griffin that um, I told the story, basically. And um, it was like a surreal experience. After the show, I asked Mike Campbell, I said, did you know he was going to do that? And he said, hell, he didn't tell anybody that he was going to do that. But, um, yeah, it's it, that was quite an experience because he had done a few other shout-outs for me. Um, for your uh, birthday? For my birthday at the Forum one year. And actually, the song Dreams of Flying, he did at a Mudcrutch show down in uh, Anaheim, I think, or Orange County. And um, I remember asking him about dreams of flying and he just gave me a thumbs up. Like I got a friend in Memphis who lives down there and I, he doesn't have a friend in Memphis, you know, except me, <laughs> but I don't, who knows if he wrote that song about me, but whatever, it doesn't matter. But um, yeah, that was quite a surreal experience. And, and back after the show, I was really stunned. I'll be quite honest with you. I was stunned. I was crying. I was, I was, all these emotions are coming back. It's like 1977 again. Right. And I went backstage afterwards, and, and of course, Tom, he doesn't stay around. He's not comfortable with big crowds. And uh, it was a great mood backstage. Everybody was happy, and um, 
And Tony and Demetrius looked at me and said, yeah, you know, Tom doesn't forget. Yep. And I went, yep. oh, right about that. And some people recorded that particular segment. It's up on YouTube. And oh, it was a great moment. Oh, my God. It was a great I moment. Mean, I, I, I could. It, it sort of was the, 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 the bow on the gift at the, uh, at the end of this long journey that the two of you went on together. Oh, yeah. It definitely was a gift, Mark. You know that. Um, and I, I, I don't think, I don't think he, no, he never, he didn't do any of that to anybody else that night. I think he did one on the first show with the, to Mo Austin, but, but the last show in front of 18,000 people, I am flipping out, man. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in another state of mind. Well, congratulations on that. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. The book again, Tom Petty and me by John Scott. John, where can they get it? Especially if they want an autographed copy. <laughs> well, TomPettyandMe.com is the um, is my website where I personalize any copy and people can write in there what they want me to say on the copy. And I've got some pretty interesting things that people wanted to say, I'll tell you that. But but um, I autograph every book and I put it's on Amazon as well and so on Kindle as well. And um, speaking of Kindle, I'm hoping Charlie Kindle will do an audible version for me. But... Um, yeah, TomPennyMe.com is the, is the place to go if you want it personalized. All right, John, you are a radio guy. We got one last song to play with you being here. I won't back down. So, John, introduce it. Okay. Um, this song is um, a song that Tom Petty lived by his creed, man, I won't back down. And um, that song just sums Tom Petty up to me. Um, he never backed down to the record companies. He never backed down to radio stations. So this song is an incredible song that really sums up Tom's life. I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. One friend in particular I, I want to dedicate this next song to is a guy named John Scott. You don't know him, but... Six weeks before our first record was dropped by ABC Records, he went to the radio stations with a vengeance and brought that sucker onto the charts. And we... And it wasn't easy. We're forever grateful. We're going to dedicate this to him tonight. This is I Won't Back Down. Well, I got to tell you, that's a great honor to have a song dedicated to you at the Hollywood Bowl in front of 18,000 people. And I can't thank Tom Petty enough for that gift that he gave me. I miss Tom. We all miss Tom. And we thank you, Tom, for everything that you gave us in 40-plus years. And, wow, just want to remind you about my book, Tom Petty and Me. It's available at TomPettyAndMe.com. And I hope to see you on the next episode of Tom Petty and Me. And you guys, um, you take it easy. Be careful out there. Love you. Bye-bye.